Coffee Break is a live production of KCHU Public Radio. Viewpoints expressed on the program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of the station and its underwriters. Opinions and different perspectives are welcome on the show. If you would like to be or suggest a guest, email coffeebreak at kchu.org or call 835-4665. Your participation in Coffee Break is encouraged. Callers to the show are not screened and comments are considered sincere. Good morning. You're listening to KCHU and Valdez. This is Coffee Break. Today we're joined by Dr. Dennis Humphrey of Prince William Sound College. Good morning, Dr. Humphrey. Good morning. And I've got my coffee with just a splash of oat milk. Dr. Humphrey's got his coffee. Hopefully our listeners have their coffees. And uh, you can find us at KCHU Valdez, 770 AM, KXKM McCarthy, 89.7 FM, and KXGA Glen Allen, 90.5 FM. Well, doc, uh, Dr. Humphrey, the big news today, uh, you are now leading Prince William Sound College. What is your official title? My official title is Interim Campus Director, but I'm still hanging on to the uh, Associate Professor of English title as well. So I'm, I'm going to be keeping my foot in that pond is a little bit too. Okay, so Interim Director, and then the college will find a permanent director in the spring of 2023. That's the plan? Right. I think that the concept was the turnaround time to, to try to do a full search to, to do a permanent director in the time that we had. The uh, the leadership at, in, in Anchorage wanted to have an interim to, to buy time to do a more thorough search. And, uh, you know, that may turn out to be me long term or it may not, but uh, okay. I'm here to serve. What are your responsibilities as interim director of Prince William Sound College? I'm pretty much at the at the helm of the ship here at uh, at Valdez, and we also have sites in in Glen Allen and Cordova, and you know, we do the full range of programs. One of the big things we're having to do now is just sort of most of the world is having this problem. How do you restart as as the world tries to get past the last two years of COVID and people getting used to not going out and doing things or not going places and and doing programs and just to get the word out as like we're here we're open for business come on we can we can do stuff and you can take classes you can come out for non-credit programs and just cultural enrichment type stuff we're we're getting back into all the stuff that we've traditionally done and trying to just get the word out we're here okay and part of getting the word out is coming on KCHU today right right <laughs> okay and then any other outreach you're doing like online are you going on tour are you doing well, you know, I'm still pretty uh, new to the role. I just started Monday. So, yeah, those are kind of the things that I'm going to do is go out to all of our extension sites. And and uh, and I already know the people. I've, I've worked at, at Prince William Sound College for five years as the English uh, professor up there. So I do know most of the people. But, you know, we've had a lot of turnover in some of the other positions as well. So it's going to be all of us sort of coming together and saying, okay, we need to re-gel this thing and, and move forward. Yeah, you were mentioning everybody wears lots of different hats. Yes, it's a it's a small campus, and we don't have the luxury of of having separate people to do all the jobs that must be done. And so, yeah, there's there's a lot of switching from this hat to that hat. And today I'm teaching an English class. The next day I'm talking to the city council about something. You know, it's it's you do what you have to do, and and you do your best you can to get the job done and serve the community because that's really what our mission is is to be here for the community and the educational needs that they have. Okay. Well, that's what I was going to ask. You're still going to teach English literature, American literature, and Native American literature? You teach all of those? Not all at the same time. Uh, the In the fall, I'll be teaching, or the plan is, we, we have to see how the numbers work out, but uh, I'll be teaching a U.S. literature class and a creative writing class at night that's going to be Blended genres, if anybody wants to get in there and play with how to blend genres when you're doing creative writing, that's Tuesday nights. Um, in the spring is when I do the Alaska Native Literature class, and uh, that's focused more on all, all of the students at UAA have to take an Alaska Native 
focused class as part of their general education requirements. And the the one that I teach is the Alaska Native Literature, and it's it's uh, the way I've put the course together is to gather as much oral material as I can, either in recorded form from uh, UAF has an extensive library of of uh, recorded oral storytelling from from Native peoples throughout the state, and uh, and there are a lot of videos of that as well. And I try to do as much of that as possible because it seems odd to me to teach an oral literature out of a book, uh, and and so. That's that's what I mean, and I always put the pitch out there that my my very favorite thing to do is to find a real life, living, breathing native storyteller and bring them in to to tell stories to the class because that's the real experience. Okay, and that's in the spring. Yes, that's in the spring, and that's one of those required classes you have to take. Well, it, it's not the required class, but it's one of the ones that can fulfill that requirement. The students have to get their general ed- education in several areas. And, and when I select classes that I teach, I try, to, I try to give the students options that can check as many blocks as possible in completing their degrees because it helps, it, it helps the process be more efficient for them. They don't have to take a class that, that does just one thing for them. Okay. Now, you're a man of letters, but you're also a man of action. You served in the U.S. military. Can you give our listeners uh, an idea of your military service? Uh, yes. Uh, I came out of college uh, in the early 90s with a ROTC commission in, in the U.S. Army, and I went into Army aviation. Uh, so I spent the first four years uh, basically in flight school, then I did a three-year tour in Germany, um, and then I wanted to go back to grad school. And so I got off active duty to do that and joined the National Guard and ended up in the Arkansas National Guard because that's where I was going to school and stayed for another 25 years. So I uh, basically had about 29 years combined service from active duty and the and the National Guard. Uh, did, did, did two tours in Iraq during that time. So flying helicopters and teaching English was an interesting balance. Uh, for, for a dual career. And your service in Iraq, you was broken up over several years, right? When did you first go? I went in 2004, what they called OIF, Op- Operation Iraqi Freedom 2. We were basically the people who went in and relieved the initial invasion force. Uh, and it was still very much the wild, wild west then. You know, we spent most of that year just trying to rebuild stuff that we blew up when we, when we moved into the place. Um, and then my second deployment was right at the end of the Iraq War in 2011 when we were pulling out, and that was a different challenge. How do we get all of the stuff that took us, you know, seven years to to move into Iraq? How do we get it all out in like six months? What prompted you to go back for a second tour in Iraq? Well, I got this phone call from a, a, a colonel who said, "Hey, <laughs> but yeah, it's I." It, Uncle Sam called. Yeah, and it, said, "We need you." I, it's not exactly being drafted because I was already in, but it's like, hey, we need you to go to Iraq. And yeah, when the Army tells you that, it's not really a suggestion. Okay, because you, you were active National Guard at that point? I was, uh, okay. which, which means the one week in a month and two weeks in the summer. But because I was an aviator, I also did uh, additional flight training because you have to keep a certain number of hours uh, every six months in order to keep your flight status current. An aviator in the Army? Mm-hmm. Okay. Have you seen the new Top Gun? I've seen the new Top Gun, yes. And what did you think of it? Well, it, it's a movie. Uh, I, I'm not going to bash anybody's love of Tom Cruise or the whole Top Gun thing or, or you know, Kenny Loggins' Highway to the Danger Zone and all that. It's, it's fun to watch. But you have to acknowledge that most of the time when you see military in the movies, they're, they're playing a little bit loose with it so that they can make it fit the plot. Um, some of the things like, and you see that in, in television and movies. It's like just because I know how to fly helicopters doesn't mean I can fly every aircraft that that exists. I you know you get you get trained to, to teach each uh, to to fly each aircraft separately. But kind of in the movies, they're like I can fly it if it has wings. So you flew helicopters mostly uh, exclusively. I've never flown anything but army helicopters. Okay. Well, what you what you think of the footage though in the in in Top Gun? Was that pretty realistic though? Was in the uh, and, and I think they they work with the uh, the Navy and and stuff like that to get good shots of those kinds of things and uh, 
Yeah, the uh, I don't know where they got the the hind helicopter, the Russian helicopter that they did that part of the of the movie with. I don't want to do any spoilers. Yeah, yeah. Anybody hasn't seen it, but and you saw that in town here. I, I actually saw it in Anchorage during a, a. I was doing a turn and burn to pick up some family at the airport and had to kill some time, so I was like, let's go see a movie. All right, That's what we did. That's a good way to enjoy some time. Mm-hmm. Now you you published a short story collection and a novel, if I'm correct. Is that yeah. right? Both of, both of those were self-published through uh, through Amazon, uh, their their publishing platform. And one of the reasons I did it is because I had those things that I'd completed and hadn't really gone out and found a publisher for them. And I kept getting questions from students. How do you self-publish? And at that time, I didn't know. And so I did it so that I could tell them how. Uh, and, and it really isn't that difficult a process. Once I got into it, I said, like, wow, this is really menu-driven and everything is templated. Uh, once or twice a year, well, more like once a year, I'll do a, a non-credit workshop on self-publishing and just roll that out if anybody's got a book or something that they want to self-publish through Amazon's platform. Or there are multiple other platforms you can use if you just don't want to give money to Jeff Bezos. But uh, that, yeah, it's pretty simple. And the real thing about uh, self-publishing is it's is it's also self-marketing, and that's the part where, where the money comes in, right? So. Yeah, it really is a brave new world out there where if you want to publish something and you send it through their publishing platform, they're going to make sure they're not going to get sued over whatever you're publishing. But other than that, they don't care. You're really your own editor, your own you know, typesetter and everything else. Okay. <clears throat> Just for listeners, I have also self-published a novel on Amazon, and I had a little bit of difficulty where Amazon started creating different copies of my book Oh, wow. <laughs> yes, without my knowledge or consent and selling it in India or wherever. So I I didn't have such a great experience with self-publishing. Maybe I should look into that. Uh, but um, can you tell us about your short story collection, the name of it? What's uh, it about? The, the short story collection is called Wild Chicken Gumbo, and that's taken from the title of the first story that's in it. Uh, but it's uh, ten stories that I had published in various places, online journals or print journals over the years. And – I had not printed as a collection, and I wanted to see what it was like to do the self-publishing, so I mashed them together into a book form and, and did it. And it's it's uh, a variety of different topics. Uh, the, the title story is one about you know families and how they tell their stories within within families and how f- stories come together in different ways. And so the analogy in the title is it's kind of like cooking a pot of gumbo. It's a little of this, a little of that. You know, can you really replicate somebody else's pot of gumbo even if you have the recipe, that sort of thing. But, yeah, the the, the wild chicken part is uh, is based on uh, some friends that I had in South Arkansas had chicken houses that were wiped out by a tornado. And uh, for months after that, there were wild chickens just had gone feral because they survived the tornado attack, but they were scattered all over the place. And so you just see them out in the woods in little chicken packs running around. And and so, you know, occasionally you could go out and get one the same way you could, you know, like, go quail hunting or something. It's like, yeah, let's go get one of those chickens for, for dinner or something. Uh, and so, yeah, that kind of gelled in my mind as a, as a story idea, as a different sort of concept. How many people have gone chicken hunting? And then the stories come together like gumbo. The, you let it simmer, and the more you stir it up, the better the stories right. get. Right. You have to blend. You have to let it simmer so that the flavors blend and all of those sorts of things. And, and what's your novel? The novel is one, it, it's actually the novel that was written as part of my dissertation in my doctoral program. And it's it's based on, the protagonist is uh, a, a young lieutenant in the U.S. Army, helicopter pilot, sounds familiar, right? Uh, and he is uh, stationed in Germany and slowly losing his mind. He And he doesn't really recognize it to the point that the reader should pick up on it, that he be- he starts believing that the world is an illusion, that everything around him is being faked because he's being tricked into into doing certain things. Because uh, and, and that starts off with the idea, if you've ever served in the military in a foreign country, it's weird that the little bases that they have, they try to make it look like little, a little patch of America, I guess, to make the the soldiers feel at home. And so he starts looking at that and says, oh, this is this is just faked for our 
benefit. What else is being faked for our benefit? And and it leads him down sort of a conspiracy theory path, and weird stuff happens, and and you end up not knowing whether it's just him, you know, kind of losing it, or whether this stuff is really happening. And, and what's the title? That one's called Strange Prisoners, and the title for that comes from Plato's Allegory of the Cave. Um, and there's a point where, and in, in, in Allegory of the Cave, Socrates is talking to uh, uh, an interlocutor named Glaucon, and uh, explaining it, it, he explains the prisoners that sit in the cave, and they're locked up so they can only see the wall where the shadows are, and uh, that's all they know of reality. They can't turn their head and look behind them and see the fire that's casting the shadows. And uh, Glaucon says, those are strange prisoners <laughs> and, and, and a strange prison. And, and, and when he says those are strange prisoners, Socrates says, like ourselves. So basically the idea is you're watching the character try to determine what's real and not real, but you're also inviting the reader, are you sure that you know what's real and not real around you? Because that's kind of the thing in our world today. It's like there's an awful lot of fake stuff going on in the world don't know which is which sometimes okay so self-exploration and questioning our part in the world and what we're doing Mm -hmm. and in in your case i guess or in the character's case and in in military service in a in a war zone but that one wasn't in a war zone it was kind of just like germany in the early 90s which was really the cold war winding down Oh, okay. And this a is lot before of, it has nothing to do with your service in the Iraq War. Just about no, I haven't got to that novel yet. I will someday. Okay. Are you, I said let that mellow. Are you writing now? I am. I'm working on a, a novel that I'm getting close to, to finishing up. It's the same protagonist. He's gotten in, himself into another adventure where he's investigating mysterious things. He's, he's retooled himself as an investigative reporter who does paranormal sort of reporting. Uh, and so he's still trying to determine what's real and what's not. But I'm also working on two novellas that are that are more um, ghost story type thing or, or horror type. Uh, I have one, one story, uh, it, novella that's trying to turn itself into a novel that's about uh, a serial killer who... Oh, there we go. It's about a serial killer who gets into being a serial killer because he's obsessed with the idea of seeing a ghost. And somehow he comes upon the idea, maybe I'll see a ghost if I kill someone and they come back to haunt me. And he just keeps trying it. and It keeps not working. And, and so, yeah, and there's a detective zeroing in on this. And uh, it's really, uh, don't want to give too much away. But okay. The detective seems to be coming up with clues that seem impossible to come up with, and it's it's mystifying the serial killer. How does she know to look there for the body? How did she know? And yeah, you can use your imagination about how she, where she's getting her clues. Uh huh. Okay. So she might be paranormal, possibly. <laughs> and the frustrating thing for our serial killer is, after all that, all those attempts, he still hasn't seen a ghost. He's very much. Or he might be paranormal. It might be one of those things like uh, maybe he's haunting Bruce himself. Willis, huh? Okay, I guess right now we're going to take a short break, and we will be right back with coffee break. So get a refill. We'll be back in a bit with Doctor Dennis Humphrey. Back with Coffee Break. Joining us today, Dr. Dennis Humphrey, interim director at Prince William Sound College. 
And Dr. Humphrey, we were just talking about your writing, uh, mm-hmm. working on a couple of novellas, and we've got uh, one in front of us. I don't know if you want to mention this, Once Upon a Time in the North. Once there. Upon a Time in the North. And I should have mentioned this before. One, one of the things that I do each time I do that creative writing class, the, like the one that I'm doing in the fall, is that I will take, with their permission, I will take the things that the students write and the things that I write because I write with them. I always write with my class. And and we put them together into a, a book and publish it. And there, there are a couple of those out there. Once Upon a Time in the North is the one we did because I had a fairy tale-based writing course a couple of years ago. And then, and then the year after that, we did a science fiction one uh, called Amazing Stories from the North. And uh, it, it's got that sort of theme. And, and so, yeah, that's part of the, the process for that class each fall is that we come together and take the work that we produce and put it into a book form and, and so that the students get the experience of putting their work out there in the world. Yeah, a finished product they could put up on a bookshelf and hand out to friends and family members as gifts, right? Absolutely. Available for sale on Amazon. Nice. Yeah, look us up. Now, you also co-wrote the musical about Valdez that plays in town. Uh, that's Valdez, yes. Uh, you can go to Magpies, uh, Magpies on the Fly down on the corner there. And yeah, it, that was me and Heidi Frank. She's a local artist. She she used to work at the college, and so that's how I got to know her. And and we got um, – Maggie had initially approached Heidi about producing a play that was about Valdez, and they – came and approached me because at the initially because I had a PhD in the humanities and they were trying for a grant. But then Heidi and I sort of started working on the play and it just took off. And and so yeah, they've been doing that for I don't know three or four years now. Okay. So it premiered in twenty nineteen then? Uh it yeah, there, our first year was before COVID. And then it, the next year we still put it on despite COVID and that's it because it's in an outdoor venue. You know, you could have the play out there and have everybody spread out enough that that it was uh, uh, people could still go and see it. It wasn't like going into a closed theater where everybody's breathing on each other, kind of thing. Yeah, I was told it was the only live performance in town during COVID. Yes, we were obstinate about doing something to get out there and say, "Come on, we got to have some community theater humanity stuff going on." And so, yeah, we persevered. We kept it going. All right, and. Uh... Did you get compliments from people in town about your musical? Do they know that you co-wrote it? I don't know that they know walk, watching me walk down the street. I mean, they, it's, on, it's on the program that that, that uh, Heidi and I wrote that. But uh, yeah, and and it's mixed results. You know, some people are like, "Hey, what about this scene? What about it?" But you know how that is. You're not going to make all the people happy all the time. But it seems to be popular. We're still and in in recent last couple of years, Maggie has. Uh, has joined forces with Matt Crest, uh, who does the Serendipity Supper Club, and they've made it a dinner theater, and that's gone over pretty well as well. And are you working on anything else? I know you're doing novellas. Uh, you're working on possibly another novel, but uh, any scripts, plays, musicals, theaters? Uh, Heidi did. Last time I saw Heidi that say that Maggie is interested in developing some, some more scripts to do so she can have more than one play that they do down there. And so... That's in the beginning stages of us talking about it. But, yeah, right now I've been zeroed mostly in on those uh, – uh, that novel and the two novellas I'm trying to finish up. Yeah, you don't have much time for anything else now that you're running the college. Right, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be burning some midnight oil for sure. Okay, so now are we going to take uh, calls in right now? Is that Okay, so anyone listening out there, if you'd like to talk with Dr. Dennis Humphrey, the – Interim Director of Prince William Sound College as of this Monday. You can reach us at 907-835-5080 or 1-800-478-5080. And we'll take your calls on air. And please uh, be kind. Uh, and you know, this is remember, we are a radio station, so mind the FCC rules when you call in. Now, uh, about the college, I, I know there was a drop-off in student enrollment during COVID, just like every place experienced a drop-off, right. businesses, colleges. Right. I, that, that really happened to colleges nationwide that uh, people just sort of hunkered down and, and it was harder to get participation. And, and it's really kind of lagging. And it's not just getting the students to come back. We've got open positions at the college that we're still trying to get people to come and apply for. 
Uh, and, and yeah, that the term that gets thrown around in the in the media about that is the great resignation that people are you know, not applying for jobs to the degree that they were before. And whether that's really what's causing it or, or other factors, who knows? But yeah, we we're some of the main focuses I'm going to have in this in this year that I'm the interim director is to try to solve our people problems. And some of that is we need to get the students to come back in numbers, and we need to get our uh, our positions filled so that we have the the hands on deck to to give them the best service. Okay. So is one before the other? Are you trying to get more faculty before students or all at once? It's all at the same time. We just if, – if you want to sign up for classes, I got somebody to help you. And if you want to come work for us, then uh, let us know. Okay. So you mentioned you are going to do outreach. You're, you're actually going to visit the the campuses around yeah, I, I think Alaska? It will be import, important to go out there and visit the campuses but also to visit those communities. Okay. We do have a call in, so we're going to take our first caller. Hi, you're on the air, KCHU. What's your question for Dr. Dennis Humphrey? They cut me off. You're on the air. You got a question? Hello? Hi, are you there? Yes, I am there, and I hear I'm hearing your radio. Um, I just want to congratulate Dennis on, on his new position. Uh, and I'll find Is that guy? Hello. Okay. Thanks for the congratulations. So when you call in, everyone, if you would let us know your name and affiliation, where you're from, that would be great. But uh, please call in. We're taking calls, 907-835-5080 or 1-800-478-5080. So now student enrollment, what's the big plan to get more students at Prince William Sound College? Multiple things. Uh, we're getting a new superintendent also with the public school system. So part part of it will be going in and, uh, you know, meshing with that that new person to uh, revigorate the dual credit. This is where high school students can get college credit at the same time that they're getting high school credit. And uh, and the interesting thing about that in the city of Valdez, as long as you're uh, a student in Valdez High School, which can be construed as physically going there or in their homeschool program, the city will pay for dual credit that they take through Prince William Sound College. The only stipulation is you have to pass the class. So students who are thinking about that, when you sign up, you have to pass pass the class to get it. But they'll pick up the tab for it. Uh, and so those students can get some valuable college credits before they start having to rack up you know, uh, student college debt. Okay. So just, so just to make sure, I heard – Free, free college. That's right. The, free the college. tuition is free. The fees are free. The really what they only the only thing they have to pay for is things like books, uh, and even in some cases they might get those covered in various ways. But and and there has been a, a push at the college, really UAA wide. But I've been doing it for years. Everybody else finally uh, caught on to do low cost or no cost textbooks wherever possible. So, for instance, my U.S. literature class that I'm teaching in the fall. Um, it's the first half of U.S. literature, so it's the 1800s. Every single thing in the course is public domain because it's been out since before 1923. That's the magic – or maybe it's 24 now. It's the magic line where everything published before that is public domain, and so it's free. Uh, and I went out and found copies of it online, linked those to the course. I even went out and found audiobook versions of it. There's a there's a great website if people aren't familiar with it called LibriVox where they have just tons of public domain works that volunteers have read into audio form and you can go download them for free. If you're if you're buying audiobooks for like Charles Dickens or or anything that's you know and you know Jane Austen, anything that's from before 1923 and you're paying for it, check that out. You might could get it for free. Uh, okay. But yeah, that's that's what we're trying to do is is get the cost down in the ways that we can. There, there are certain things that are beyond our control, but but in the ways that we can, trying to make that as economically feasible for the students as we can. Okay, and just real quick, that's free college. It is free college. Okay, and who's paying for that? The city of Valdez does. Uh, the they've been very generous over the years with how they support the the campus in general with multiple ways of funding us, but that's one of them that they. They pick up the tab for those dual credit students. So any high school student 
in Valdez can take college courses at Prince William Sound College concurrently while at high school, mm-hmm. as long as they pass those classes, free. Yes. Fantastic. Okay. And then as a student at Prince William Sound College, the students have unlimited free access to everything from the libraries at University of Alaska Anchorage. Yes. Uh, they they are UAA students. And so all of the, the student support things that they have for, for Anchorage and all of that, now you're going to have to access them online because that's a long way to drive to go to the library. But we have a library right in town that's part of the UA uh, consortium. And so you can use interlibrary loan with all the other libraries in the state. You can uh, access all of the databases that they have access to. Uh, yeah, in, in terms of that, they are a UAA student just like the ones in Anchorage. Okay. And do you have contemporary literature at UAA on, online? as well that you can access or is it just you know before 1923 or 1924 well when if you incorporate literature into your course shell that come that is copyright protected that's where you have to either pay for it or find the author and get them to say you can use it without paying for it uh, now there are certain things you can do with fair use uh, small sections of works that you can use as for educational purposes but yeah if it's public domain then it doesn't belong to anyone uh, it, if you go to Project Gutenberg, for instance, and read the, the fine print down there, they'll say, use this however you want. The, it, it's interesting. When you use stuff from Project Gutenberg, the only thing they really care about is that you're careful how you use their name, not how you use the stuff that they put out there. Okay. So, yeah, I could, I could download something from Project Gutenberg, slap it into a book form and, and sell it, and it's perfectly legal. Yeah, so pretty soon we'll be able to read F. Scott Fitzgerald and Hemingway's works from the 1920s for free. Yes, uh, I I do think in either this year or last year, um, The Great, the Great Gatsby, Gatsby right? entered the public domain. And so some of those biggies from the modern period are starting to come into the public domain. Okay, and definitely the Dubliners from James Joyce. That's mm-hmm. got to be good for free. Okay. and then, So what are the most uh, popular classes right now at Prince William Sound College? Well, we got programs of all types. We we have a millwright program that my own son went through, and he got a job right out of it. And, and, is, and what is millwright for those who don't know? A millwright is a trade where you work on things that spin. <laughs> so it's it's about balancing spinning things and making sure they work right. So, it, it, but it can be a lot of it can be pumps or it could be conveyors or or other things. And in the job that he got out of that, uh, he's done multiple other sorts of of technical things too, but. Yeah, just the we have that. We have a maritime course where they learn how to work on engines and and work on boats. We are we still have a nursing program there, and and so we have various types of of technical and professional programs of that kind. OECs and operational endorsement certificate is the technical name for some of those things. But we still also have the uh, the traditional academic courses that lead to an associate degree and then to a bachelor's degree. Um, something new that we've got is that you can take two or more of the OECs that we have and take the gen ed on top of it, and it, it's an associate of applied science. And so we're we're looking for various ways that we can give students skills and the credentials with them to help them find employment and, and go out there and get a living wage in the world. Okay. Now, I was talking with Dr. O'Connor, and he was really proud of the nursing program. Can you mm-hmm. talk a little bit more about that? Well, we do that in par- partnership with Providence. And so, yeah, the, that, that relationship is really important because they give us a lot of support, a lot of resources in order to do that. And they give us a place to do it because you can't really teach nurses how to nurse if you don't have uh, the, the environment for it. And so, yeah, we're able to uh, work cooperatively with Providence right up the hill and, and produce uh, those uh, – certified nurses assistants, and, and then they can progress from there into a nursing program to become a, a registered nurses. And, uh, yeah, we're excited about that, too. We we generate those you know, each year for for the communities, and, and a lot of that is trying to produce nurses for uh, the state of Alaska because if, you, if, we, if we can train them here, we can get them to stay here, then it helps us solve a lot of rural Alaska really struggles to keep healthcare professionals in the in the positions out there. Uh, the same way we struggle in, in other ways too. Um, uh, 
getting people into this difficult environment sometimes do things when the lower 48 is down there, you know, beckoning to them where they can have lower costs of living and and more resources nearby. It's useful to us. Uh, I think one of the things that UAA in general and really the UA system is trying to do is to keep our, our best and brightest from just all leaving the state and going to the lower 48 to, to other opportunities and say, look, you can stay here and be Alaskan and, and still do all of these things. Right. But you're not going to find any place that looks like Valdez in the lower 48. No, you're not. I, I, I say all the time when driving through Keystone Canyon, you go by those two waterfalls. And I said, if this was in the lower 48, it would be at least a state park of its own. And, and people would line up to see this. And, and in Alaska, it's some stuff on the side of the road when you're on the way to, uh, of, to Anchorage. And so, yeah, we, we are sort of spoiled in that regard. In the summertime, our house is kind of a, a free bed and breakfast for all the people that we know in the lower 48 that come up here and do their vacations. They're like, wow, this place looks like a postcard. And I'm like, yeah. It is. Kind of why I live here. <laughs> take some pictures. Take yeah. them home. Tell so your now, friends. Um, just real quick. So the, the nursing program, they take classes on campus, but then they also do hands-on training at Providence. Yes. And and Providence is, has partnered with us in, to provide some resources and things too. So we we've got a lot of community partners, and and part of what I've got to do, and I've been in the in the the interim director job since all of Monday, so I still have to get out there and sort of sit down with all of these folks and 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 wrap my head around where things are and and how how to keep things going. And and really in this interim year, that's mainly my focus is to get everything. Keep things stable and and in a good position. So at the end of the year, if I keep doing it fine, if somebody else has to have it handed off, then it, then I'm handing off something that's in good shape to them. Are there any age requirements for being a nurse? You have to be 18 or older to be a nurse. Yeah, I don't know that answer. I'm, I'm thinking yes. The I know for the millwright when, because my son was in the program. He he got his millwright certificate uh, through dual credit. He got it for free going through uh, while he was still a high school student. But when he applied for jobs, he was still too young for their insurance. They're they're like, nah, you have to be 18. Uh, And so, yeah, as soon as he turned 18, he got an internship at the Greens Creek Mine down uh, near Juneau on Admiralty Island. And, uh, yeah, he's 19 now and loving it. It's already progressed his next step up and making money like I didn't see until mid-career. So it's it's nice to see that that young people can come through that program and go out there and find work that will pay a mortgage, that will pay you know vehicle payments. It's not minimum wage or anything like that. So those opportunities are there, and we can we can help folks find them. We we still have a good relationship with the Hecla Greens Creek Mine, where we have a couple of scholarships and internships that happen each year right out of that course. Okay. And there are other mines in in Alaska too that that we can send students to the Pogo mine and various other ones. So I was just thinking for nursing. So it's possible male or female taking the nursing program, right? Correct. Yes. Okay. Anyone at at the high school in Valdez could take concurrent classes at Prince William Sound College, Mm -hmm. turn 18 somewhere around graduation and then go right into nursing. Yes. Or, or go into whatever they want to go into. Uh, Another one of my children who also graduated from Valdez high school, got her associate degree at the same time as she got her high school diploma because she had been taking dual credit and, and had the gotten all the credit she needed. Maybe it helped having parents that, that were college teachers. Um, and and so, yeah, the, every year we have a handful of students who get an associate degree at the same time they get their high school diploma and they head off to complete their their bachelor's degree is halfway done already before they even have to go out and start paying for it. You could be a nurse with an associate's degree though, right? Yes. Okay. So now um, living on campus, do you have enough dorms for all the students who want to live on campus? We do. Uh, We've got some programs in the works where we're having to make sure that we have all of our rooms available, but we've got 39 beds that we can fill. And in recent years, of course, with COVID, I mean – now, the, the dorms have been mostly empty, and so that's one of the things we're saying is if you're in 
an outlying community, we've got dorm space for you. If you're even in Valdez and you don't want to live at home anymore and you just want something, you, we've got dorm space for you. Because that's one of the things in Valdez is just the it's hard sometimes to find an apartment or someplace else to live. And uh, and we've got that for our students who, who come from uh, the outside world to us. We, it's and a lot of two-year colleges or two-year campuses don't have that, that ability to, to house students that come to us. Okay. So if a prospective student is listening today and is interested in attending Prince Williamstown College for one of the many opportunities we're just talking about, Millwright or nursing or wants a, a, a dorm room, how do they contact the university or the college? Well, um, go to our website, uh, pwsc.edu, and uh, – and go to the admissions tab, and it'll walk you right through. Uh, the point of contact up at the college is is Bernie Irish. She is our admissions person who will make sure you get lined up with all of the testing that you need for placement, all of the different programs that we have available, and, and things like that. So she she is one of the ones they'll deal with first just to get onboarded. Okay. And do you happen to have a phone number just to make it easy for folks? Oh, off the top of my head, I haven't got that memorized yet. No. But, okay. Uh, go to admissions for... PWSC.edu. Mm-hmm. Okay. And Bernie Irish. Is that the name? Yes. All right. Good name. And then uh, is there anything that the college needs that it does not have now, in your opinion? Uh, well, like I said, it's, uh, the, most of the problems I have now is, is getting the people who aren't there there. And that's, that's the students and those vacancies that we have. We have a real need for some people in the business wing of what we do, the people who do the accounting and and uh, and have to do the purchasing and stuff like that. We've uh, had some turnover in that, and we need to replace some of those. So if you have business skills or purchasing or anything like that, uh, let us know, and, and we'll take a look. Okay. And uh, what classes would you like to offer that are not offered now or anything on the plate? Well, mainly what we have to do because we're such a small footprint is look at how we can give the most variety with the least amount of resources so that we don't, like, split our pool of students in too many different directions. And, you know, instead of having five classes that have a few students in, you try to have two or three students that – or two or three classes that are closer to full just to keep uh, our operation efficient enough that, that we stay in the black so to speak, on, on how our operation goes. But now we're always looking. The main thing that we want to do is kind of gauge the community and say, what do you want us to have? And, and then we can start looking to how can we provide that. And, 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 of course, we can't provide everything to everyone because we're, again, a small footprint. But we can, within the scope of what we have, look for variety so that students can do that. Um, and that may be occasionally, you know, if, if you – have a class that we don't have a full-time instructor for, you get a part-time instructor to come in and do something that uh, that can give students a different option for, for certain requirements for their degree program. Okay. And what's a full class? What's that considered? Full classes are usually around 20 students. Um, it depends on the size of the classroom. But we, we try to have that be the, the upper limit because we don't really have large enough classrooms to do much bigger than that. But when they get really small, it also becomes a problem because then you're you're paying the instructor more than you're bringing in intuition, and you start to go backwards on the on the the accounting part of it. Okay, I was just thinking uh, how I'm finding about uh, information about town is just the bulletin boards, like at Safeway, mm-hmm. and might just do it old old school, old fashioned with the paper up there. What do you want to see in town? Just official letterhead from Prince William Sound College. Yeah, we, do, we we put out some of our stuff. We usually have a little bulletin board thing at the at the post office. Understanding that you know in this town, if you get mail, you have to go to the post office, and so that's going to be one of the places every everyone goes. And you know there there are the the grocery stores and things like that that get a lot of traffic. And yeah, just uh, coming up with mailers to again to to reach out to those dual credit students and their parents out there saying, did you know that well, you have this resource and, you know, would you like your to, to take advantage of it? Or even the visitor's center or the, mm-hmm. the, the civic center? Sure. And that's part of what I'm going to be doing uh, with the remainder of the summer, which is not much, is kind of look at how can we, 
how can we get our news out to the world that we're here and you know take the take the bushel off of our candle and, and let the world see yeah let there be light so i was thinking now would be a, a good time just to take a quick break and just do station identification let you know we're doing coffee break with dr dennis humphrey the interim director at prince william sound college and this is kchu valdez 770 a.m kxkm mccarthy 89.7 fm and KXGA Gun Island 90.5 FM. We'll be right back for more Coffee Break with Dr. Dennis Humphrey. back. This is Coffee Break. We're with Dr. Dennis Humphrey, the interim director at Prince William Sound College. And we're taking calls. So anybody want to call in and talk with Dr. Humphrey, you can reach us at 907-835-5080 or 1-800-478-5080. And please be kind and please pay attention to FCC rules. We are live on the radio. Thank you, everyone. So now, just going big here. What are your hopes and dreams for the future of Prince William Sound College? Oh, good gosh, that we fill every classroom and every dorm room and that, that, we're, that everyone who wants educational opportunities here is, is satisfied with what they get and, and has the opportunities that they need. And, of course, yeah, I'm, I'm still looking for the genie lamp that I can like, make wishes come true just that easily. But it, it's, a, it's a process. You, you, you make incremental progress on on various things and and in the the immediate term what i what i'm really looking for is to is to stabilize and keep everything going and to remind everyone that hey we're here let's 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 get back to what we were doing before all of this weirdness hit us in in 2020 okay we're we're still kind of in the weirdness though right the, yeah the it's, pandemic is still crazy. going on it's, it's, it's trying to make a comeback from somewhere and everybody's like ah oh, this again but yeah yeah so we just have to be smart do all the things we know and you know right social yeah. distance wash our hands cough on our sleeve and you know if you feel safe wear a mask if not you know <laughs> stay six feet away <laughs> but um envision best case scenario what do you think prince william sound college could become like in the next 10 years well, the the thing about that kind of vision is you don't want to dream too big because you don't want to develop something that's not sustainable. That that to find the the right size, the right mix of programs and courses that will serve our community and be sustainable long term. And and sometimes that expands and contracts based on whether you know money is falling from the sky like it used to in the in the big oil boom days, and that could happen again. I mean. The state right now is kind of looking at here's a bunch of money we didn't expect to have because the price of oil went much higher than everybody thought it would. Um, but then again, they're also looking at it and saying, mm, how long is it going to stay that way? And so, yeah, the the university system really took uh, a hard hit in the three years leading up to COVID because of the budget cuts that were coming out. And, and some of them were hard to adapt to. And that's another thing that we're having to recover from besides COVID is just those three years of budget cuts that forced the entire university system to, to kind of retool itself and say, okay, with this amount of money, what can we do? And how do we begin the process of building back? Okay. And those budget cuts were from the governor? Yes. Dunleavy? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So specifically, what? how much money did the college lose? I, I don't know that number off my head. It was a significant percentage of what the, the state-funded budget was. And double-digit cuts is, is what we were talking about that were initially going to come out all at once. And, and 
everybody in the education community and the accreditors too were like, you can't cut it that fast. It, it will cause us to lose our accreditation. And so it was spread out over three years so that we had time at least to adapt to the new reality. But yeah, they were, they were huge. I mean, tens of millions of dollars being cut from the, the state budget. In total or each year? Um, each year. And so it was, they took the big chunk and split it into three pieces and spread it out over three years to kind of attenuate the shock of it. But it, it was still a hard blow to recover from. And, and we're still recovering. And part of what we have to do is say, okay, within the scope of the funding that we have now, what's possible? Because you don't want to take on too much and try to do things not well because you don't have the resources you need to do them. How, what can we do and do right within the scope of the resources that we have? And, you know, where can we get other resources? So, you know, look for grant funding or, you know, and, and to us too, one of the, one of the ways that we get resources for, for doing things is to get more students that brings intuition money and it, and it gives us the ability to, to start looking at, okay, now that we have additional funding, what can we do with that? Can we, circle back around and try to revitalize our construction uh, OEC, for instance. Construction for uh, building construction? Yes, like housing construction. We, we, for the last several years, have been trying to get a program going with that, but uh, various, the, you know, manning personnel and, and resources, hard to get to come together in that kind of environment. And so, but it's still another one of the things that we've got sort of mothballed to the side and said, we're going to get this going when we get the opportunity and the resources to come together all at the same time. But uh, because that's another one of the things that we look around and say, this is a, this is a skill set that people could use in, in Alaska. And, and we're talking about not just uh, construction, but construction for this climate. So how do you build a house that's sufficiently insulated to, to keep people warm in this environment? Okay. Well, since we're on that topic, uh, is there a possibility of studying solar electricity, wind power, tidal energy, geothermal potential at Prince William Sound College? Well, these are all things that are kind of exploratory. We, we've got um, – just last year, we hired a new uh, science faculty, Amanda Glazier. She's uh, Dr. Glazier, and uh, she does – classes in biology, oceanography, and that sort of thing. But we're also looking at things like, um, you know, kelp farming and, and those types of things. And there are always grant agencies out there and partners that we're trying to work with. Uh, there is a, a new thing that I saw just the other day that I need to dig into a little bit more uh, that, that UAF is trying to do some outreach in this part of the state and, and partner with people like us and like high school and, and, and the native tribe and, and things like that to bring some of those types of technological resources into this part of the state. Okay. Now, I know a little bit about geothermal, but it seems like that would be really ideal here. The volcanic activity, there'd probably be a lot of warmth coming from underground. If you, you're talking about new home construction, you build the, the geothermal hole before you put the home in, and that mm -hmm. would be a, a source of not only heat, but you can use it for power generation as well. And and those are the types of things that we would seek out uh, partnerships. Uh, a lot of that kind of stuff is really um, University of Alaska Fairbanks does a lot of that sort of thing. And and again, they it's it's really. Anchorage and Fairbanks and, and, and Juno kind of overlap. They don't just have, this is our territory, you stay out of it. There, there are different sorts of things going on all over the state. And you find the partners that are there and that, that can serve the community that you're in. And that's really what we're looking for is not just to do things just to do things, but to do things that will help you know, our communities, Valdez, Glen Allen, Cordova. Okay. Yeah, I was just thinking this, uh, we're having power outages here around town. You'll get used to that. Right. But uh, it seems like a perfect opportunity to have a, a mix of, of different power sources. Like sure. there's, and, there's so much sunlight here. And there are different programs like that going on. I, I can't give you any sort of details or anything on it because I don't know them myself. But there's the, the – the, a program to do a micro reactor somewhere in this part of the state to to provide uh, electrical 
energy to to the state, not on a on a full blown like large reactor like the like you see with the big cooling towers and stuff. But a you're talking about state. nuclear. Yes. Yeah. Of course, and, then and you need really, somewhere to store the waste. Well, it, interesting with those micro reactors is when they reach end of life, you just the whole reactor is is done, and you you do another micro reactor. It's not a big thing where you could keep replacing the the fuel rods and and keep the same facility going. Okay, does but, it have to be on water though to cool it down? Well, yeah, that, I'm not sure of, of those kinds of technical details, but uh, or I, I'm and I'm not sure where that project is right now. Uh, last time I it crossed across my screen was a few months ago, but it's it was floating around out there as one of the things that people talk about. That hey, this could be a thing, and how would we help support that if it did get the funding and, and all the, and get all the licenses and things that it needs in order to get done? Okay, because that's the other thing. You come up with great ideas, and then you have to line up the resources, but you also have to get you know state agencies to say you can do this. Wait a minute, you're going to build a, a micro reactor? You can't just do that. <laughs> you got to have permission. Right. Various agencies. Now, where I'm from, I'm from Southern California. We we had to close our nuclear plant, San Onofre, because it mm-hmm. was leaking radioactive waste into the air. And I know you're talking about new nuclear technology, microreactor. But the cool thing about solar is it would provide jobs, local installation crews could do that work, and where you'd have to have a large corporation with doing the microinverters. And also wind seems like it would be a potential here. It's pretty windy. And like I said, geothermal. I would love to see a mix of that or something like that tried at the college. Right. And well, and my personal opinion about that is is you have proponents of each one of those energy types that want it to be the thing that people do. That that really the answer going forward is to like I said, diversify your energy portfolio and have multiple ways to get the energy you need. So that if solar's not working out because it's cloudy again in in Valdez, so okay, do we have a wind generator and you know. So yeah, there, that that it would be my tendency to look at how can we have a, a diverse sort of thing to to make sure that our energy needs are met, and even title just to make sure we get that in there again. Sure, I, there there are all kinds of technologies that are out there, and and sometimes it it breaks down to you know the cost benefit analysis and 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 where you put certain things. I mean, it would seem some places would be better suited for title sorts of energy than others, like maybe where you get bore tides. It would, I mean, it might, might disappoint the people who like to get out there on their surfboards, but it, that could really power a, a, a turbine or something. But Because the tide here, it ebbs and flows regularly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It does. And, and just to make a quick point about solar, it, it's light to electricity, uh, photovoltaics, so you can make electricity every single day as long as there's light. It works better on a blue sky, sunshiny day, but any day there's light, which is a lot here in Alaska in the summertime, you can make electricity from solar panels. Yeah, and that those technologies are constantly in development, and we're probably, you know, you'd have to ask the scientists how many years we are from a point where it would become so efficient that it really becomes a no-brainer. It's like, how do you not do this? But, yeah, there there are... We're we're kind of at a at one of those points in in history where we're looking and saying certain things are going to be on their way out, other things are on their way in. Where do you make the break point? Yeah, and just to also give fair point to the oil and gas industry, we're still going to need to use oil and gas uh, as transition. And uh, of course, in the winter time, we don't have as much light, and it's cold. And you better believe when it gets cold in the wintertime, I'm going to be using oil and gas or whatever to keep warm. So we'll use uh, whichever energy is applicable. So we're wrapping up here on Coffee Break. This has been Dr. Dennis Humphrey, the new interim director at Prince William Sound College. And we appreciate everybody listening. We will try to do this every Wednesday. Would you like to close out, Dr. Dennis Humphrey? Uh Mostly what I have is uh, thanks for having me. Uh, thanks to everybody listening. And come sign up for classes or apply for our open jobs. All right. Okay, so this is KCHU Valdez, 770 AM, KXKM, McCarthy, 89.7 FM, KXGA, Glen Allen, 90.5 FM. Listener-supported public radio from Prince William Sound in the Copper River Valley. We're going to try to do this every Wednesday, 9 to 10 a.m. So if we're lucky, every Wednesday, listen for Coffee Break. Thanks for listening.
This has been Justin Vass. <laughs>